Two of the king's soldiers, or officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out, found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, um, who was a cousin, by the way, of Mordecai, Esther was, uh, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were punished, they were hanged on the gallows, um, and all this was recorded in the book of Annals in the presence, or Annals in the presence of the king. And then if you come with me to, um, uh, I think it's chapter 6, um, and let me find the passage here. Chapter 6. Here we go. Verse 1. I love this bit. Um, that night, the king, Xerxes again, could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles. <laughs> and cure for insomnia. They're right there. Uh, if you're struggling to get to sleep, pick up the Bible. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so that night, the king could not sleep. Um, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, which is a part of the First Testament, the Old Testament, um, the record of his reign, um, well, his chronicles, not the um, Old Testament chronicles, to be brought in and read to him. And it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway and who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honour and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. And the king said, who is in the court? And then we get the rest of the story. So, um, these are the two passages that I just want to share from. I'll just pull this aside. So it goes like this, friends. Here's a few heartbeats that you might like to consider. Um, if you read the book of Exodus, when did you last read the book of Exodus? I mean, if you read the book of Exodus on just about every page, there is a big God-sized miracle occurring. Yes? Yes. So, so that, that book, that book in the First Testament, Exodus, begins with E. And here we have another book in the First Testament that begins with E, and it's the little book of Esther. But if you look at the book of Esther, I mean, God is not even mentioned on any page. Were you aware of that? It's not even mentioned. And yet, in this book of Esther, you still get a huge God-sized miracle occurring. But God is not even mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther. And when I compared and contrasted the book of Exodus with the book of Esther, I thought, there's a different type of miracle occurring in the little book of Esther. Like in the big book of Exodus, it's like God did this and God did that and so forth and so on. That kind of God-sized miracle. But when you look at the book of, Ex of Esther, it's the, it's the miracle of divine coincidence. Yes? I mean, if you look at the book of Esther, it just so happened. It just so happened, it just so happened, it just so happened. So, for example, it just so happened that Mordecai was at the gate. And it just so happened that he overheard a conversation. And it just so happened that it was found to be true. 
Are you with me? And then later on in chapter 6, it says, It just so happened that the king Xerxes was having a bout of insomnia. And it just so happened that, you know, he asked for the book, his book of Chronicles. And it just so happened as he opened the book, it, it referred to a previous incident related to Mordecai. I mean, you read the book of Esther, and it's like just chance events. And I would like to suggest that that is a form of miracle. Are you with me now? Yeah. So, I have three stories. And I haven't even shared with you yet my heartbeat. I felt the master, my king, Lord Jesus, asked me to remind you of something. And I'm going to leave you hanging. Okay? And you have to kind of guess as we go through. So I've got a few stories, and they're favorite stories of mine, but I haven't kind of strung it all together like this before. Because I do think there's something that is something for you to hear. And the first story goes like this. Did I share with you when we were here last time that I used to live in Gizzi? Did I share that? Not that you would remember. Um, <laughs> do you know the literature now that says that when a person like me is shared in a group, 20 minutes after the service is completed, people have forgotten now most of what was said. <laughs> and so us people who are teachers up front, we have a great job. Um, but anyway, I can't remember if I told you uh, uh, I used to live in Gisborne. You see, I, when I was decades ago, when I had long, beautiful hair, <laughs> I tell you, it was great hair. Anyway, I had this long, wavy brown hair, and I was in the Lower North Island, and I was using and dealing Class A drugs. And here's the thing, people. I thought, I've got to get out of the drug world Fast. So I've got to escape. So where did I think I should escape to? Gisborne. And I mean, how thick is that? I mean, so I shot up to Gisborne, and I got a job on an orchard here, and I was still so dazed and glazed with so many Class A drugs that the guy, you know, he fired me. And I ended up living in a tent here in Gizzy. And very soon, you know what it's like in the drug world, or maybe you don't. Um, show of hands at this point. <laughs> uh, but very soon into the piece, we smell each other out. I just found the networks here, and I was back to using and so on. So then I thought, I've got to get out of this world, because it's just it's like a train wreck in my own life. So I, I thought, I've got to get out of Gisborne. So I shot down to Christchurch. I hitchhiked. I had a dog called Poet. And I hitchhiked all the way down to Christchurch. And I got down there, and I basically lived anywhere. I gay crashed anywhere. So did I tell the story? I don't think I'll just do it anyway. So I, I, I got down to Christchurch, and I sometimes lived you know, on the streets. Sometimes I climbed the fences of second-hand car lots and I just slept in the back of a second-hand ute that was up for sale because at least that way I could stretch my legs. Do you know, I mean, I just basically slept anywhere. And in those days, you know, um, uh, there was a gathering at lunchtime in the public square of Christchurch and a big, tall, hooded, black-cloaked 
preacher used to get up to the gathering crowd, and his name was? So maybe, I don't know. Did I tell this last week? No. And he used to get up at lunchtime, and then at the same time, a short fellow with a big black Bible used to get up and speak. Who was his name? What was his name? That was Ray Comfort. And then these two, they would stand not three metres apart from each other, and they would then turn on each other in the public square of Christchurch at lunchtime, and have a real good ding-dong. And you know, I used to turn up every lunchtime, and I don't think much has changed. I used to think, this is the only entertainment in Christchurch. So I rocked up every kind of lunchtime to hear this kind of shootout in the public square between the short white fellow with a big black Bible and the wizard. And so I became part of the freak show. And you know, I had this long wavy hair, clothes that were filthy ass, barefooted with a dog called Poet, and I just used to sit on the cathedral steps watching these two guys go for each other. And then one day, a friend of the short white fellow with the big black Bible, he came up to me and he tried to engage me in conversation, but I was like a dead dog. I smelled like a dead dog. I had the eyes of a dead dog, you know, and um, so he gave up. But he kept coming up to me week after week after week. And, um, and then he kind of uh, entered into conversation, and he basically said, where do you live? And I, I, I said, anywhere. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, anywhere. And, you know, he's a thick Christian, couldn't quite understand what, that was, what was meant by that. And then basically he said after a while, you actually mean you live anywhere? And I said, yes. And then several months went by, and then one day he said, are you still living anywhere? And I said, yes. And then he said, come with me. So I went with him and I hopped in his car and he drove to Upper Colombo Street. And then um, he pulled to the side of the curb. He said, come with me. And I went with him. And he went down an alleyway and he said, come on, Nick, come with me. And I followed him. And he walked into this big old house and he says, come on. And I went. And then he walked down the corridor and I followed again. And he walked through the kitchen and he said, come with me. And then he walked into his bedroom. I was a bit worried at that point, and, um, but I went with him, and he closed the door, and I thought, what happens now? And then he went straight to the wardrobe, and he opened the wardrobe, and there were all these jackets and coats, and I automatically thought, Narnia, you know, and, and we're off to find Lucy, you know, and, um, and then there was a suitcase at the top of the uh, wardrobe, and he pulled it down, and he unzipped it, and he took some clothing of, of his and put it in the suitcase, zipped it, went to the door, bedroom door, opened it, and turned to me, and he said, see ya. I said, what? And he said, see ya. I said, what? So we weren't good at conversation. And, uh, and then he just, he says, oh, you can have this bedroom and everything in it. I've paid the rent months in advance. It's all yours. And there's another guy that lives in this house. His name is Bruce. He's a bus driver. And um, with that, he left. And I didn't see him for years. And I looked around the bedroom and I thought, not bad, you know. I have scored, you know. And, um, and then as I continued to look around the bedroom, there was a coffee table next to the bed and on the coffee table was a Bible. And I thought to myself, as I stood in this new bedroom of mine, who's not to want to read the, the Bible after an incredible demonstration of love? So I picked up the book and I discovered another demonstration of love. Did you get that? And you know, here's me, a 
druggy, and it just so happened that I was in Gisborne, and it just so happened that I left here, and it just so happened that I went down to Christchurch, and it just so happened that I bumped into someone in Christchurch who was prepared to give up his bedroom, a Christian. It just so happened that I scored his bedroom and it just so happened that the stuff that he left, there was a Bible right next to the bed. And it was the first time that I bumped into a Bible in my life. Believe it or not. Do you get this? And then I was saved. I came to know Jesus Christ. Now, has that happened to you when you think of your journey to Christ? Have you... Have you had sort of these divine coincidences? You know, that kind of, I don't know, those chance events. Have you, have you got a bit of a, a story around that? And it just so happened, it just so happened, it just so happened. If you had, just quickly tell the person next to you, go to it. Have a wee conversation. Second story. You don't mind stories this morning, eh? No, second story. I just felt to share from the heart. And I have Ruby and I have such fond memories when we were here last. And so we so enjoyed it when we were here last. I couldn't help but give a whole lot of hints to Shah and Carl. You know, get us back, get us back. We want to come back. And so he didn't get back to us by email. Um, just a second story goes like this. So, um, remember we had that Q&A session, I think it was at Alison's house, is that right? Um, Alison? Anne, sorry. Um, Anne's house. And um, I think at, at, at that time, Anne, we might have shared that we had done a chapter uh, in the slums of Manila. So we lived. So, so we, I, I then hooked up with Ruby uh, in Christchurch. That's another big, long story. Um, and then uh, we became an item, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Can you hear the music? You hear the music in the background? And then, um, and we did a few years in our 20s and then towards our late 20s. I don't know, we just kind of looked at each other. We thought, you know, let's do something really reckless. Let's, let's have a love affair with recklessness, not just a love affair with each other. 
uh, so let's go do danger. And so we thought, yeah, let's take our two little kitties at that time and go and live in a plywood shack in the heart of a third world country. And we both looked at each other and said, yes, let's do this. So um, so we jumped on a plane and we, we, we zoomed up to the Philippines and we relocated, incarnated into the heart of a, a typical two-third world um, slum community. So we lived in this, as I said, a plywood shack, broken down, breaking down, bits of plywood, bits of corrugated iron sheeting. Um, if you put our little finger through the little, our kind of plywood wall, it, got, it would protrude into the room of the house of people next to us, and there'd be 16 people there, and there'd be 12 people there, and there'd be people up there, and people over there. So that's where we lived, and we lived there for nigh on 10 years. Um, not in that one slum, but a number of slums. And um, I'll never forget our first Christmas Eve. So we were just trying to get to sleep, and the rats were as big as cats, and there's vermin all over the place. And um, we were trying to get to sleep on our first Christmas Eve, and then we were awoken by loud crashing noises on on our plywood and bits of corrugated iron. And we wondered what it was. And so I got out of our, you know, mosquito net kind of bed and um, pulled back a bit of plywood, you know, wolfed into the hole and um, pulled back a bit of plywood, spied out this narrow kind of thing. And there was a gang of thieves and they were throwing rocks at us, at our place. No one else, just us. And I kind of got it. You know, it's Christmas Eve, they thought we had everything, and so they were angry. And always remember that anger is a second emotion, it's not the first. Whenever you get angry, it's telling you that something else is going on in your life, so I'm Dr. Phil now. And, um, and um, so I kind of got it that they were throwing rocks, they were angry, because uh, they maybe were envious, they thought that we had everything. I don't know. And um, so Ruby and I thought we'd better pray to survive the night. So we prayed, and we prayed for protection for our kiddies and ourselves, but I couldn't resist, and so I said, Jesus, I would love to get to know one of those gang members. I'd just love to get to know them. Um, and so we said amen, we survived the night, obviously, and then, you know, we had to learn language in this slum community, and so their language was Tagalog, Filipino Tagalog, and so the way we learned language was to hit the alleyways, and just try out words and phrases. And we had them memorised. And it got to a point I had three phrases memorised. So I saw one day two guys, you know, walking towards me. So in this narrow, mud-infested, disease-ridden alleyway, I just kind of stood there with my skin bag in front of their skin bags, you know, my body in front of their bodies. And I basically said, you know, what are your names? And they said, Boyette and Richard. And then I said, Sa'an Kayo Nakatira. And they pointed to where they lived, and that was my second of three phrases. And then I said, Sa'an Kayo Papunta Neon, and where are you going? And they pointed in the direction. And then I had nothing more to say. And then I'm done with three, you know. So I went to mini-me, you know, and waddled away. And they looked at me like, you strange, you know, foreigners sort of thing. And then... I think I said to you, one of them said Boyette in terms of names, and one of them said Richard in terms of names. And then several weeks went by, and I saw this Richard guy. And he was turning into an alley. So I yelled out at the top of my voice, Hi, Richard! 
And he turned around with a look of absolute stunned shock, horror almost on his face. And I thought, why is he giving me the look, that look? And he waddled on his way. And then the weeks and the months went by, and then there was a knock at our door. And so I went to our door and I opened it, and here is this guy, Richard. So he had a little bit of English, and I had a little bit of Tagalog. And I worked out that he wanted to come outside to get to know me. So he came in, and so week after week, month after month, we slowly got to know each other. And I got to discover that he lived in a literal hole in the ground. And he had five brothers and sisters. And they lived in a hole in the ground. His parents had deserted him. And that's where they lived. A literal hole in the ground. And we, we sort of began to do life together. And then he asked to do Bible studies with me. And we began to do little Bible studies. And then months went by. And then one day there was a knock at the door. I opened the door. And here's this guy, Richard. And he had a little bit more English. And I had a little bit more Tagalog. And he basically said to me, he said, Oh, Mickey said, I want you to be the first to know. You know, I've become a Christ follower. And I thought, how the heck did that happen? You know, our little Bible studies were pretty pathetic, you know. How did that happen? So I asked him. So I said, you know, Pa'ano Yanangyari Sayo, you know, how did that happen to you? And he said, Oh, he said, it all began, Mick. He said, One day you remembered my name. I looked at him, and he said, oh, he said, where we live, you know, being the extreme poor, no one remembers our names. We are the invisible people. We are the forgotten people. But one day you yelled out my name. You remembered my name. And he thought to himself at that time when I yelled it out, maybe the God of that foreigner also knows me by name. And it just started a trail of thoughts for him, a train of thoughts. Eventually, he became a Christ follower. You know, today, Richard is a Methodist pastor. And by the way, he was in that camp. He was in that camp. You know, it just so happened that Ruby and I went to the Philippines. It just so happened that... Um, a gang threw rocks at us. It just so happened he was in that gang. It just so happened that I had to learn the language. It just so happened that one day I bumped into him. Just so happened I yelled out his name. It just so happened. Chance events, divine coincidences. Do you like that story? What did you like about it? Tell the person next to you. for one more great story and then I'm done have you got appetite so I don't know if Carl has told you uh, this particular story but it goes like this so he may have heard this but in in my role I get to have the privilege of speaking with a lot of other uh, speakers and there's a guy by the name of Tony Campolo have you heard of Tony so Tony tells this story And even if you've heard this, it's worth telling again. And it goes like this. 
So Tony is also, he's a teacher, he's a lecturer in sociology, and he got invited to go to a particular university in the States. And he, he rocked up to give this lecture, and it was a Christian university, and uh, they said to him, the staff, we, well, let's pray for you, Tony. So Tony, they said, Tony, you know, just kneel down there. They gathered around Tony, they laid hands on Tony, and they proceeded to pray for him. And as they were praying for Tony, this, this old kind of Christian guy, you know, classic guy, got three-piece suit, all this kind of stuff. And he started to pray, and he said, oh, Lord, he said, Lord, we want to pray for Charlie Stoltzman's. And we know where Charlie lives. He lives in that place at the end of that street in that particular suburb. And we know that Charlie is going through a hard time with his wife. And as Tony was listening to this, he thought, this is a crazy place, you know. Now, we're meant to be praying for him, Tony Campolo, not meant to be praying for Charlie Stoltzman. Have you heard this? And, and so Tony thought, I just want to get out of here, you know. So they finished with this big amen, you know, hallelujah. And Tony got off his knees and he went into the lecture room and he gave his kind of stuff fast forward, you know, just wanted to get out of this crazy place. At the end of the lecture, jumped in his car and he just zoomed down the motorway thinking, thank you, Lord, I'm out of that place sort of thing, you know. And he got going down the motorway and he saw a hitchhiker. And Tony, if you've met him, just, you know, he just loves a captive audience. I mean, he's a real talker, you know. And so he saw this hitchhiker and he thought, I'll pick this bloke up. So he pulled the car to the side, picked up this bloke. They did the intros, you know, as soon as they got in the car, they all both worked out they were going in this direction, you know, and Tony thought, yeah. And so Tony said, hi, my name is Tony, na 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 na. And this guy said, oh, my name is Charlie Stoltzman. <laughs> and at this point, Tony, he's, he's like me, very few hairs on the back of his head, but they tingled at that moment. And so Tony then relayed the kind of previous prayer that was so weird. He sort of downloaded it and remembered the particulars in the prayer, where this guy lived, what street, suburb, and all this high. And and, um, <laughs> and remembered where this guy kind of lived. And so what um, Tony did was he pulled the car off. He pulled the car off the side of the highway. And of course, Charlie Stolfitz is going, what? we agreed we're going in that direction. Why are you taking the turn off? And Tony said, shh, shh, just hang. It's all right. It'd be cool. Just chill. And then Tony found the suburb. He found the street. And he saw the house that was mentioned in the prayer. And he pulled up. And by this time, I mean, Charlie Stolfitz was kind of catatonic, you know. And then Tony just basically said, your marriage is in strife. You've got three kids. It was all mentioned in the prayer. And we're going inside to sort this out. And kind of Charlie was just like this. Yes, okay. And they got out of the car, walked into the house, and Tony was with Charlie Stoltzfitz for about, and his wife for about three hours. And at the end of three hours, both Charlie and his wife, they became Christ followers. And you kind of, and by the way, today they're Presbyterian ministers. And you hear that kind of story and you think, oh, that's an Exodus miracle. That's amazing. 
No, it's not an Exodus miracle. It's an Esther miracle. You break it down. There were all these. It just so happened that on that particular day, Tony was giving a lecture at this college. Just so happened there was a three-piece, you know, classic Pentecostal-type guy who then prayed a weird prayer about Charlie Stoltzfitz, and it was just so happened that on that particular day, Charlie Stoltzfitz was heading, hitchhiking in the same direction as Tony Campolo. And it just so happened that all the particulars were in the Isn't that an amazing story? So people, lock eyes, come to moi. This is what I felt is the heartbeat. You see, you listen to those three stories, and the thing is, God is out there. He's out there. And it's amazing. I mean, when Graham Carley gave me his bedroom, he had no idea what would unravel and unfold. He had no idea, but look what happened. I happened. And that's not bad. Do you get what I mean? I look at myself in the mirror these days and I do say to myself, not bad. Because <laughs> it's sort of like a miracle. And you know, when Graham gave me that room, he didn't know how God would pull it all together. And then when we went up into the slums of Manila, and I just yelled out Richard's name, I had no idea. But there is a God out there who can pull it together. He can pull all the strings together. And look at the Charlie Stoltzfus story. I mean, it's like God is out there. But Tony had no idea. But look, God pulled all the strings together. Here's my thing. You must become a piece of string. I mean, Graham was a piece of string. He gave me his bedroom out there. I was a piece of string. Ruby was a piece of string. And look what happened to Richard. And Tony was a piece of string. And look what happened to Charlie Stolfitz and his wife. Do you know when I was praying about what I should be saying today, this Sunday, this is what the Lord said. He said, Nick, I want you to talk to them about evangelism. And of course, whenever you mention the E word, whenever you mention the E word, you should see the response and reaction of people. Especially of Christians, let alone those who do not self-define themselves as Christian. Everyone gets horrified. Everyone starts to squirm in their seats. Everybody gets clammy palms. Everybody crosses their legs. Everybody kind of gets slightly nervous when you talk about evangelism. Well, I've just talked about evangelism and you loved it. (laughs) 
Because you see what I've learned is God is out there. And it's like there's a big sand pit out there. And what I just, I don't know about you guys, but in my experience, evangelism is like jumping into the sand pit and being a kid. And here's the thing, it's a lot of fun. But you've got to become a piece of string. And it's amazing how God can pull it all together. It's just a lot of fun. So become a piece of string with your workmates. Become a piece of string with your neighbours. Become a piece of string with extended family. Become a piece of string and gizzy. Become a piece of string. It is so much fun. And some of you look as though you need more fun in your lives. Amen? Amen. That's the heartbeat that I've helped this year. So God bless you.